G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Vision Christian Radio is all about connecting faith to life. From inspiring stories about the struggles we all face, to helping you understand the issues going on in the world, to clear and understandable Bible teaching, all peppered with great Christian music, the latest news, and even a few laughs along the way. You're about to experience just a small part of what we do. For the full experience, tune into a Vision Christian Radio FM or AM station near you. Listen online at visionradio.org.au or download our free app. This hour, a change of direction a little uh, from talking about terror attacks in Paris to talking about economics, the sorts of things that we might be confident about or the things that we might be a little insecure about as we move forward when it comes to Australia's economy and even the world economy, which we'll talk about in just a few moments too. But wondering if you'd like to be part of our conversation this hour, our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Perhaps you might like to contribute by letting us know just how confident you feel about the year ahead, 2016. And with so many things that are happening that impact the economy, and that, of course, includes the global outlook for how various nations, various economies are going, well, you might like to reflect on how you feel about our economy here in Australia. Well, 1-800-316-316, our number. Call us and be part of our conversation. Our special guest this hour is Dr. Rod St. Hill. Rod is the Dean of Business at Christian Heritage College in Brisbane. Uh, He's the uh, one who lectures in economics and business. Uh, He raises up business graduates, confident to apply their Christian worldview in whatever area of business or involvement that they are a part of. Uh, Rod St. Hill, welcome along to 2020. It's great to be with you again, Neil. Well, Rod, I always like getting your insights when it comes to economics and business and uh, usually around times of federal budgets. uh, It's always uh, Rod St. Hill who's, uh, who's here and giving us some insights into just how things are unfolding economically. If you approach economics and looking at, uh, you know, the view of the 2016 year ahead, uh, from a Christian perspective, does it look different to what we might hear, the RBA governor or other economists who are speculating about the economy? Is there a difference when we actually come to the economic issues from a Christian perspective? No, not really. Look, I think the, the overall picture is um, fairly accurate. We're looking at a growth rate of perhaps two and three quarters percent next year, uh, maybe as high as 3%, but uh, we can't get away from the fact that big economies like China have slowed down and uh, we won't be able to export as successfully as we could um, in the past. So that's the big picture. Um, at, at the actual local level, at the level of the individual business, of course, biblically speaking, we're not really visited by, by recession. And, of course, we need to really tap into the wisdom of God in whatever we're doing in the marketplace so that we're right in the centre of his will. That's really, really interesting when you raise that point because there is a countercultural ideal that Christians have if we have a biblical worldview of life. 
and it does include economics. So what we're hearing from the Reserve Bank and their, you know, their uh, ideas about what the future might look like when we're hearing commentary by various economists, there is a sense in which uh, we don't dismiss the supernatural ability of God to be a blessing on Christian business people and people who are ordinary uh, citizens, uh, you know, in whatever area of employment we have. Oh, that's absolutely true, Neil. That uh, the economy is actually a, a human system; it's a man-made system. Uh, most of the rules of the economy are man-made rules. And uh, we can supernaturally rise above anything that the data might tell us in our own business or in our own job. So we don't have to be part of the 6.1% of the labour force that is unemployed currently. We can always do something about it. So we should never allow our own outlook to be um, overly influenced by what we're reading in the media. Rod, we've been talking uh, through this past hour about the unfolding circumstances as they've been happening in France and the focus there on Paris, terror attacks over the weekend, the death toll now more than 130 and that's continuing to rise, hundreds of people uh, injured in that dreadful attack and, uh, and our hearts and our prayers are for those people who have been influenced and directly affected and, of course, for whole nations who are almost in the grip of fear because uh, because of the issues that have gone on with those Paris attacks over the weekend. Let me ask you uh, to come back to an economic perspective on that. How is that likely to affect not only France but the whole world? Well, initially, of course, um, the main effect, I think, in France will be that the numbers of tourists who commonly go into to France probably won't do that for the next few weeks. Uh, tourism is actually one of France's largest industries. There's over 80 million visitors to uh, France each year. So that, that's more than three times the population of, of Australia. So that'll have a significant impact. But, but, but I think that that will only be fairly temporary and that France will bounce back fairly quickly. Uh, there's really no other um, option for them. And I think people will say, no, look, we're not going to allow this kind of thing to deter us from our plans. So at the moment, the Australian government, of course, is recommending to Australians that unless they have a need to be in France, that they don't travel there. Um, but I don't think that will last too long. So economic impacts, uh, there'll be a glitch, but things will probably, for France, get back on track. It's oh, a little I think bit, they will. It's I a little bit like will. the news cycle. When the news cycle changes and people lose interest, now, <laughs> as dreadful as that sounds, uh, but when the news cycle changes to a different crisis, uh, then then that's not going to have the same sort of impact. How, how important is it, the, the, the news cycle, the way that... Uh, people are talking, the use of rhetoric from uh, global leaders when oh, it yes, comes to the yes. economy. Look, um, news matters because I know people say you shouldn't take any notice of what goes on in the media. You hear that all the time, but the fact is they do. And uh, so when the media point to some kind of disaster, be that a social disaster or something like happened in um, Paris over the weekend, or whether it's a downturn in the economy or falling consumer confidence or falling house prices or whatever it is, that affects people's psyche. It's uh, often what goes on between the ears that really determines economic outcomes. And I think that's why it's so important for us as Christians to be firmly anchored in the word of God and not in the word of the media. Okay, well, I want to invite our listeners to join into our conversation this hour. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. You might like to share with us how confident you are about 2016. Sometimes we hear of 
all sorts of indexes, uh, consumer confidence and business confidence, those sorts of things. Well, uh, our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Are you shaken by what you have heard that's been going on in France, in Paris over the weekend? Are you shaken by the intensity of the fighting that's going on in the Middle East and particularly as you focus in on Syria? What do you feel as though that means to us here in Australia? And does it affect the way that you are living your life? Does it affect the way that you're spending in your household? Will it affect the way that you spend Christmas? Well, our talkback line open. Call us and give us your insights. 1-800-316-316. Dr. Rod St. Hill is our guest. He's the Dean of Business at Christian Heritage College in Brisbane. Uh, when we talk about confidence, Rod, uh, We've had three terror attacks in Australia this year, not on the scale of uh, Paris and, uh, you know, always drawing those sorts of uh, comparisons and certainly wouldn't uh, elevate those to the same level of uh, seriousness as what's happened in Paris. But we've had three. Have you noticed any, you know, did we get a glitch in any of our confidence when when those attacks were being no, reported? No, in fact, not, not really. And I think what goes on here is that people say we're actually going to defy the terrorists, and that's the kind of language that you hear after each of these incidents, and certainly that's the language which is being used by politicians and other people in relation to France at the moment. Um, these things don't seem to have an impact long term, and uh, when when significant, really significant events happen, like um, 9-11 in the United States, there's no doubt that the whole world financial system could have collapsed after that because people became so frightened that they just wanted to get cash out of their banks. And um, central banks all around the world, including here in Australia, actually, um, they performed a mammoth task at that time. In the United States, for example, the uh, central bank lending to the banking system was the equivalent of about half of Australia's GDP. And we actually managed to avoid a significant crisis because we got the policy right. And uh, I know that what's been happening in Australia over recent times is quite minor relative to to 9-11, but it's the same type of thing. And uh, look, I think governments are well aware and policymakers are well aware of the things we must do and must not do in the middle of these crises. And we've actually learnt a lot, I think, over the last 50 years. So I don't think that we need to be too concerned about the economic fallout of, of these events. People are actually very resilient in community. And uh, the tendency is, you know, we will not allow this to actually deflect us from our economic path. Of course, we might have that view here in Australia, but if you're in Europe and really, I guess, from the global financial crisis, the challenges that Europe has faced, uh, so many of those European countries, when there's a hit like happens with a terror attack of this scale in Paris, is there any sort of... Uh, you know, insecurity or their fragilities. Do you think about uh, glo- about uh, European economies that that oh, could look, be uh, um, influenced here? European economies as a whole have been in a fair bit of economic difficulty for the last thirty years. Uh, they're running very high rates of unemployment, very low rates of economic growth, and uh, actually, many European economies have been subject to terrorist attacks of one kind or another, really, for the last few decades. Um, I've spent a lot of time in Germany, for example, on business. And uh, the Germans are, are actually quite used to this kind of thing um, in, in the UK, of course, up until peace was um, settled with the IRA. There were bomb attacks. So we here in Australia are unused to the kind of thing we've seen splashed across the media 
in recent days. And this is not to minimise, of course, the impact of what happened in, in Paris. But in Europe, you know, they're actually much more used to living with these kind of dangers than we are in Australia. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson, a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Taking calls, 1-800-316-316, talking about the outlook for the year ahead, 2016. Our special guest this hour is Dr. Rod St. Hill, the Dean of Business at Christian Heritage College in Brisbane. In Brisbane. Uh, Rod, let me just, uh, let's bring you to, uh, to the issue of taxes. Uh, this has been very high on the agenda uh, for discussion and there are fears about rises in a GST. Uh, let's talk about tax because if there is a, uh, you know, a review of Australia's tax system, uh, views to tax reform, and as our government says, all things are on the table. Uh, what are your thoughts on what might happen with tax reform coming into the new year? Oh, I'd love to know what might happen. It's very, very <laughs> difficult to predict how our political system will um, will resolve issues concerning tax. But there are a couple of things that we know for sure. One is government is large in Australian society. Um, our government's total tax bill, this is right across all three levels of government, federal, state, and uh, local government taxes is equivalent to 27% of the value of everything we produce in this country. So that's what the government takes from us in order to undertake all of its activities. The main activity of government at the federal level, for example, is to raise taxes which are then passed on to the state governments and uh, to engage in social welfare transfers. So around about 70% of personal income tax is actually used to fund the social welfare system. And of that, about half is merely taking income from you and giving it back again, but actually losing some of it because we've got a whole lot of public servants and systems and so on to um, engage in that redistribution. So there are massive inefficiencies in the way in which governments deal with the whole issue of raising revenue and then and then what they do with it. And one of the things that we have to come to terms with is the fact that we have a whole raft of taxes that are actually economically damaging. So, for example, state governments rely fairly heavily on payroll taxes as a source of revenue. Now, that is a tax on employment. That doesn't make any sense at all when you have 6.1% unemployment uh, in the country high rates of personal income tax, the effective rate of income tax on the highest income earners in Australia is around about 55%. Uh, The top 20% of taxpayers in Australia pay about 80% of the total tax bill. In fact, the the richest 2.5% pay almost 25% of the tax bill. And I know that many of us would like the rich, the so-called rich, to be paying more tax, but I wonder how much more tax they can actually pay. Because when when they are paying rates as high as that, they have incentives either not to earn any more or to find artificial ways of minimising their tax. And that actually is a drain on the economy. One of the reasons why um, the government is fairly keen on doing something with GST is that the GST has a far less damaging economic impact than does uh, income tax or, or payroll tax or taxes like that. 
When we talk about a sustainable tax system, uh, I guess you've got to be able to meet uh, all of the requirements, as you say, a 27% uh, draw on the public service uh, that, uh, the, and then, of course, the, the welfare uh, elements of all of that. Uh, to actually have a sustainable uh, taxation uh, system, uh, people are, I guess, uh, tending to fall towards this talk about GST because that's something that everybody seems to understand. If you want to, if you want to sell the model, it seems to me like uh, while uh, the lower end of uh, the socioeconomic spectrum are more likely to be very uh, hard hit by the GST, it's something uh, that it seems to me that uh, it could be easier to sell that than, than a, an understanding of all the complexities of change in the other areas of tax reform. Um, look, it might be. Everybody pays GST, so you get your, your grocery... Um docket and you can see how much GST you've paid when you buy petrol for your car you can see how much GST you've paid so it's a very visible tax and as I say everybody pays it at the moment it's a, a very slightly progressive tax I know a lot of people claim it to be regressive that is that it's a higher tax as a proportion of income on lower income earners but in fact it's very mildly progressive because of the, the so-called tax base so things like fresh uh, fresh food, for example, are not taxed. And given that uh, those items are, are, are more common in the basket of goods bought by, by low-income earners, in fact, they pay less GST than higher-income earners. But one of the proposals, of course, is to expand the base to include things that GST is not currently levied on, and that would raise some problems for the low-income earners. I think the way to deal with that would be either to increase the, uh, the tax-free income threshold or to provide some kind of social social benefit. Although on the whole, I'm not a I'm not a great fan of long term social welfare. I, I don't think it's consistent with the biblical principle that we need to work in order to um, fulfil our our identity, and uh, that actually we need to look for ways of giving people meaningful employment rather than simply social welfare handouts. Of course, that's uh, always balanced with the idea of caring for those who are poor. Uh, well, you might like to be part of our conversation, our talkback line open on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. You might have your own views on the GST. If we're talking tax reform, what are your thoughts on the GST rising to what has been speculated uh, to a figure of 15%? Some would say it's already too high at 10%. Well, you might have your own view, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen to join in our conversation today. And uh, also your level of confidence when you think about the year ahead, 2016. What sort of an outlook do you have? Are you confident about moving forward the way that you are at this time and the way Australia is economically? one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. 316 This issue of the GST, uh, Rod, is, uh, is it relevant that people be afraid of the rise in uh, a taxation if the GST does increase? Well, look, I don't know that it's something we should be afraid of. We need to recognise that we're the ones who demand that our politicians spend money. And we spoke earlier about the sustainability of the tax system. I think a better question to ask is the sustainability of the government's spending. And, uh, you know, we, we tend to criticise increases in tax, but we want the government to spend money on our pet projects or to increase social welfare or whatever. I think the dilemma that politicians have is that on the one hand, they're looking to be re-elected at the end of their three-year term. And so they're wanting to spend money, but of course they have to raise revenue in order to do that. 
And uh, I think it's high time we had a very close look at the complex interactions between our tax system and our social welfare system. Well, we're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Dr. Rod St. Hill, our guest, Dean of Business at the Christian Heritage College in Brisbane. Let's take a call from Ross in Tasmania. Hello, Ross. Welcome along to 2020. Um, yeah, look, maybe I'm operating on a false premise here, so you'll have to correct me. Um, but, you know, you hear these stories from time to time talking about people like uh, the Gina Reinharts of this world that um, you know, are supposedly paying no tax at all. And she's a multi-billionaire S. Um, so... What do we do about things like that? Okay, if you've got lots of money, you can organise your tax affairs to minimise as much as you can. Uh, your thoughts, Rod St. Hill? Yes, look, um, to be honest, I don't worry about those kinds of people because there simply are not enough of them to make a difference. Um, now, that's not an excuse for people to um, do anything illegal in relation to their tax, and perhaps it's not an excuse for people to even minimise their tax. But the truth of the matter is, even if we forced every single one of those of the wealthiest people in this nation to, let's say, there was a, a minimum um, tax of 20% on their income. There's not enough rich people to make a difference. Uh, so what you're saying oh, is okay. we actually need more rich people. Of course we do. And, and, but people get rich by building businesses. And uh, people like Gina Reinhardt, when she actually inherited her business, it wasn't a very good business. And she was the one who applied her entrepreneurial skills to build a very substantial business. And now, of course, she's uh, certainly the wealthiest woman, if not the wealthiest person um, in this nation. So, look, you know what? We, we can be critical, perhaps, of the moral position that some people take. But the truth of the matter is, if we caught them all out, we still would not be able to raise significant revenue in order to, to plug uh, the gaps in, in, in the government deficit. Ross from Tassie, uh, did you have a further thought or a further question to clarify anything that you needed to know? No, 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 that, that was all, um, no, that's, uh, that's fair enough, yeah. But look, Ross, um, I think you're probably reflecting the thoughts of a lot of Aussies who think that uh, perhaps those who are at the higher end of the rich list uh, somehow or other are uh, minimising their tax or even to the other uh, extreme of, you know, avoiding tax deliberately. But I'm not sure whether that's the case. But, Ross, thanks so much for your time today here on 2020. Uh, we're taking calls, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. If you'd like to join in our conversation, our special guest is Dr Rod St Hill. He's the Dean of Business at Christian Heritage College in Brisbane. We're talking about tax reform and uh, we'll talk about things like the GST. You might have a question, you might have a comment to make about that. You might also like to uh, join into our conversation telling us how confident you are about the year ahead 2016. Let's hear from Sam in Western Australia. Hello, Sam. Where are you calling from? Um, yeah, I'm down south, mate, in West Australia. What town um, are you in? Well, I'm just a bit concerned about the GST. Many, many years ago when the 10% GST came in, they, um, the government promised that they were going to get rid of all these other taxes like payroll tax and this tax, and it was going to simplify everything, just 10% you know, GST on all goods and services bar fresh food. And it all sounded very good, but when it actually came in, of course, we never got rid of payroll tax. We never got rid of all the other taxes. And we met a young couple back then in about 2001, and um, her auntie and uncle were very, very high up in the tax department, and she told us off the record that 
their auntie and uncle had told her um, that when the GST came in, they were literally gobsmacked at how much money was coming into the taxation department. In fact, so much they didn't know what to do with it all. And they were sort of just like bamboozled at how much it was way more coming in than they ever anticipated. So here we are 15 years later, and it's a bit like a cancer, I suppose. The more you, the more you feed it, the more it grows. The more it grows, the more you've got to feed it. Um, and so here we are 15 years later, and we need now to look at putting the tax up again. Um, and I'm old enough to remember exactly the same thing happening with just the plain old sales tax going up from um, whatever it was, 12% or 12 and and, uh, you know, we had to pay extra of sales tax on our car because it was retrospective back when John Howard was the, um, was the treasurer. Sam, you're making some great points there. Let's get some thoughts from Rodson Hill. Well, Sam, you're absolutely right. Part of the deal on the GST when it was first introduced was that state governments would get rid of a whole lot of taxes, including payroll tax. Uh, they were going to get rid of or at least reduce stamp duties. They did. The only tax that I'm aware of that they actually got rid of was the financial debits tax. And I don't know whether you might remember that. Yep, yep. But uh, that tax did go. They were supposed to get rid of payroll taxes and other taxes. They didn't. Now, that wasn't a federal government problem because the federal government constitutionally can't actually force state governments to um, get rid of those taxes. So it's a state government issue. Uh, GST is currently raising some $55 billion a year. And uh, state governments are spending, I think, around about um, $68 billion a year or, or, or thereabouts. And so the GST doesn't quite cover their expenditure. Um, you, you talked about the idea that, that um, you know, taxes have a habit of going up, not down, and that is true. Uh, the goods and services tax is a kind of VAT or value-added tax. Every country that has introduced a value-added tax has increased it at some time. It's happened in New Zealand the GST in New Zealand started out at 10%. I think it's now 16%. Uh, Value-added taxes started out at about 6% in Europe. In some countries, they're now 21%. And the reason is that governments tend to grow. Uh, they grow for a whole range of reasons, not the least of which is that as countries become um, richer overall, there are much higher demands on governments for all kinds of social welfare. And you will find that the biggest expenditures in, in most governments' budgets are actually social welfare, where they take money off some people and give it to other people. Okay. Did you have something to add there, Sam? Yeah, I just think, um, where does it stop? You know, it's, it's the, the, the old story of the more government we get, the more, um, it, the more overbearing they become. And, like, we've got federal government in this country, we've got state government, and we've got local government. Now, local government never started off, and we, our rates per year where we are are quite high, over $2,000. And, um, and it just... If you look in the Constitution, and I guess your, your um, guest would be aware of it, that there was no provision for local government in the first place. Our, our Christian forefathers who wrote our Constitution, and it's a very, very um, good Constitution, never allowed for a third tier of government so it could become overbearing and overburdensome on us. And I feel that, you know, we, we've run off the rails in this country, like a lot of countries, I guess, um, as we move further and further away from um, 
like godly principles and godly ethics. Interesting comments, uh, Sam. A uh, quick one, uh, Rod, just uh, on uh, issues of constitution, uh, third level of government. Yes, look, you're quite right, Sam. The constitution doesn't specifically address the issue of local government. It merely looks at the division of powers between the sovereign states that make up the federation and uh, federal government. So it doesn't say you cannot have um, local governments either. And, of course, it was official policy of the Labor Party right up until the early 1980s, about 1984, to actually abolish state governments and uh, simply have a federal government and large regional governments. Um, it no longer is official uh, Labor, Party poli- Labor Party policy, of course. Um, so, look, the whole issue of having three tiers of government and whether or not that's efficient has been on the agenda off and on over many, many years now. And, uh, look, one of the things that's happened... Um, particularly since the 1970s, says that the federal government has taken on more and more power by offering to give lots and lots of money to state governments. And so what we've ended up with is a federal government that raises a lot of revenue that it passes to state governments for all sorts of purposes like education, health and so on, whereas um, constitutionally they are responsibilities of state governments and strictly speaking state governments should be raising revenues to pay for those. But over many, many years, in order to get power into the federal sphere, what the federal government has done to get around the Constitution is to say, look, we'll give you a bucket of money if you agree to 101 things. And that's what the state governments have done. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316, talking through economic issues this hour with Dr. Rod St. Hill, Dean of Business at the Christian Heritage College in Brisbane. And uh, we're taking calls, uh, talking through issues like the GST or how confident you might be about the year ahead 2016. Let's continue uh, to take some calls, Rod. Let's hear from John in Coburg. Hello, John. Welcome along to 2020. Oh, fantastic show. You're doing a great job, Neil. Keep going. Thank you, John. Well, uh, what are your yeah. thoughts? Do you have a question? I was just going to say, I, I think... Um I wouldn't be. I think that this generation, the next, have stuffed it up for the next few generations. The kids are not even born. We're not going to have a wealth, you know, good welfare, hospital systems, or they're just peeing all our money up the wall. There's no incentive for people to do the right thing anymore. But everyone's uh, ripping the system off. Partly also because we're not no longer a Christian nation. Um, that doesn't help because there's no incentive for people to pay taxes and do the right thing. So once you get rid of God, there's no more accountability, there's no more moral laws. So if people can get away with it, they will get away with it. So what, ultimately at the end, our issue is that the Western civilization is in decline and we're in trouble. And um doesn't matter what the government does, um, we're not going to be able to pick ourselves up unless we let God back into the show. John, some um, good points in all of that. Let's uh, get some thoughts from Rod. Uh, when we started talking a little earlier, Rod, and talking about what a difference it makes uh, to Christianity and uh, the way you look at economics, uh, John's making some good points there that uh, that if, uh, if you lose that uh, integrity of the heart, uh, then uh, economics gets a whole lot more hard. There's no doubt about that. And in fact... Um, these days, you pick up a modern textbook on, on economics, it tends to um, gloss over the whole issue of the ethical underpinning for a well-functioning economy. And uh, John hits the nail right on the head, I think, in that we, in, in this um, kind of age of uh, secular humanism, we've tended to lose our moral compass. And there are a lot of people who think the government owes them a living, and uh, there are a lot of people who think they don't have to work. And uh, it's creating all kinds of problems in our society. The, the biblical model of the human being 
is such that the human being was designed for meaningful employment, not necessarily paid employment. My wife stayed at home and looked after our children basically from the time uh, from the time we were married until the time they were married. We had our first child within three years of marriage. And so for roughly um, uh, 20, 21, 22 years, my wife was at home. So she was meaningfully employed, although not paid. And uh, I had a full-time job and I've never been unemployed. I've worked hard to be employed. I went to university and I studied 65 hours a week. But you know, I see in a lot of people today that they've, they've lost that understanding that human dignity is dependent upon us having meaningful employment. So I, I agree with, with John to a large extent that one of the things that's happened is that the moral fabric of our society has crumbled and there are people, not, not everyone who's receiving social welfare, of course, is a, a moral delinquent, but there is something about the system that now says you don't have to work for human dignity. Instead, we can compensate you financially for the fact that you don't have, say, a stable home life or a regular job. And that has actually undermined human dignity. And I think that's even a bigger problem than losing our moral compass. John from Coburg, thanks so much for your input today here on 2020. Just leading on from what John was sharing there, the issue of uh, of the integrity of the heart when it comes to paying taxes, when it comes to conducting business in an ethical way. Because if you lose that moral compass, uh, then corruption rises and uh, the whole issue of avoiding taxes becomes uh, your primary goal rather than this integrity that we've had in our Australian society where there's been an honesty system, really, in some respects, when you put your tax return in, that you're telling the truth about how much tax you're going to pay. Uh, this issue of moral integrity, if you lose that Christian foundation, we're in real trouble, aren't we? Look, I think it is um, something to be concerned about. There's no doubt about that. Look, I know lots and lots of very honest people in business. I know some people who are not not so honest. Um, but I do think this, this whole issue of the moral underpinning of economic relationships is one we need to address in this nation. And uh, if you have a look at the overall biblical perspective, the biblical perspective is we are intended to be diligent, honest workers. There, there are literally hundreds of of laws and rules in the Old Testament that were designed to govern the proper functioning of trade and commerce. And uh, we've lost that to some extent. I, I recall when I was a student, way back in 1976, one of the books I read that influenced me most was a book called Social Limits to Growth by a fellow by the name of Fred Hirsch. And one of his theses was that with the decline of religion in the West, governments would have to legislate more and more and more to make up for the lack of that ethical or moral underpinning. And I think it was right. I think it doesn't take too much to be able to see that those law upon law upon law issues are there constantly in the media and behind Absolutely. the scenes. 1-800-316-316 to be part of our conversation today. Let's hear from Damien in Brisbane. Hello, Damien. Welcome along to 2020. Yes, good afternoon, Rod and uh, Neil. Uh, look, I guess my question was going to be going on the multinationals uh, and the tax avoidance, uh, how the government was putting a great pressure on multinationals looking at tax avoidance through that. But I guess it goes with a lot of your question, a lot of your listeners' questions in regards to you know, your Gino Reithart of the world, 
Uh, I think it just sets a psychological precedence where people say, well, if certain multinationals do it and they're the leaders of their field, or Jenny Reinhardt does not she's the leader of the field, why shouldn't I do it? And I think that's the, I guess, the effect of when they do that. It's not about so much how much revenue it's going to gain. I think it's just the precedent it sets. And the, uh, you know, people think, well, she does it, so it's okay for me to do it. And I, I just, that's a very scary uh, thought when we go down that path. Yeah, look, I think that's a great point. Um, I would certainly hope that no Christian has that attitude um, because obviously our behaviour is meant to be based on the Word of God and that we wouldn't look to people like the Gina Reinhardts of this world to set our example. We would actually look at what the Bible has to say and uh, if we're going to live in this society and benefit from what our government provides, then we need to pay our tax and we need to do it in a, in a legal way. But look, I think you do have a, a point there, Damien, that there are lots and lots of opinion leaders and uh, because people don't necessarily have a moral compass, they will actually um, form their own sort of moral framework by looking at the behaviour of, of others. Uh, unfortunately, I think the size of the issue of the rich not paying their fair share and multinational companies not paying their fair share is grossly overblown in the media. And the, the way to resolve our budgetary problems isn't, it's not going to be found in that direction. Yes, you can argue that morally speaking, we need to do something about that. And the fact is, the problem is with the government rules. The government, these people are not doing anything that is illegal. Now, you could argue, well, even if it's not illegal, sometimes it's immoral. But the problem really is with the plethora of government rules that allow people to do the wrong thing. So what we have to do, in my opinion and it's just my opinion, but my opinion is that we have to simplify the tax system and the social welfare system so that there isn't actually these inadvertent um, or even almost unknown incentives for people to get in there and do what others might consider to be the wrong thing. Damien from Brisbane, thanks so much for uh, some great input today here on 2020. Let's take a call from Joyce in Laidley. Hello, Joyce. Welcome along to 2020. Yeah, Hi. Um, I've just got two basic issues. One, when we're talking about people and them being on um, the, um, like the dole system or whatever you'd like to call it, um, uh, and meaningful employment, um, I have a, a big issue there because a lot of people who are not employed but on these systems of benefit are people who are behind the scenes and who provide a lot of work and service to the community, to their families, um, without the pay being in the pay system. Um, and the other thing that I have with that particular issue is that um, meaningful employment, um, when it's in the biblical concept, is um, a lot to do with service to God, not service within the financial system as well. And even though we work and are part of the financial system, we still provide our services within that system, within our businesses, within our work structures, as a service to God. Watson Hill, what are your thoughts oh, on look, what Joyce Well, I agree with that latter statement, Joyce, absolutely. Our work is meant to be a service to God, whether it be paid employment or any other kind of employment. And so when I go to my place of employment on a daily basis, it's like an altar on which I actually offer up to God my talents and my time and my energy and, and my commitment. 
Um, I think we do have to be careful that we don't define meaningful employment as only paid employment because, as you rightly point out, there are a lot of people who are not in paid employment who provide extremely valuable and needed um, work behind the scenes in the whole um, sort of voluntary sector. So, um, yes, I certainly wouldn't want to undermine the great work that they are doing and it's a good thing that people who are receiving social welfare payments of one kind or another do feel motivated to actually serve their communities because that's one way in which they will become what I would call fully fulfilled human beings. Joyce from Laidley, thanks so much for your input today here on 2020. one 316 taking calls, talking about tax reform, the GST, or you might have your own thoughts on just how confident you might be about approaching another new year, 2016, on its way. Let's hear from Graham in Tasmania. Hello, Graham. Welcome mm. along. Hello. Uh, look, our nations, and I'm talking about the English-speaking nations, have turned away from God. Now, We'll be cursed. God says, well, you'll be cursed. I'll give you children to rule over you. And, I, and if you don't turn back to some description, I'll destroy you utterly. And there's no wisdom in our nation. We've got uh, China is supposed to be buying a, a port now for 90 years or something. And where is the sense in that? That's just some of the things. And all these problems that's in the world... They are our curses, the Muslims and so on. And these are the things that come upon us. We're going to need to turn to God because things are not going to improve. They're going to get worse for our people. Graham, some thoughts from Rod St. Hill. Yeah, look, thank you for that, Graham. Um, look, I've got no doubt, actually, that as, as a nation, as we've moved away from, from God, that uh, sin has entered in and it's actually undermined all human institutions uh, human institutions were designed by God for good purposes in the first place. God actually said that all that he created was good. It was very good. But sin mars everything. It mars the economy. It mars marriage. It mars the church. It mars the education system. My personal view is that what Christians need to do is to be available for God to use them to redeem their particular um, area of the marketplace. So I'm the Dean of Business at Christian Heritage College. In everything that we teach, we're teaching our students how they might use their role in the marketplace to be used by God for redemptive purposes because God's great heart for the whole of the earth is that it would be redeemed uh, back to him. So I wouldn't have quite as pessimistic an outlook as you. I certainly do understand the, uh, the curses that attend are moving away from God, but I actually think that God has placed us here so that he can use us for his redemptive purposes. Talking economics this hour and from a biblical Christian perspective, our special guest, Dr. Rodson Hill, Dean of Business at the Christian Heritage College in Brisbane. We'll take another call in just a few moments, but Rod, you guys have uh, just been given a, uh, a level of accreditation to offer an MBA at uh, Christian Heritage College. How important is that a step That's right. forward? Well, I think it's a pretty important step forward. Having our own Master of Business Administration, it's uh, probably the most popular qualification for um, professionals in business at management levels and so on. And uh, so Christian Heritage College, as from uh, first semester next year, that's the beginning of the new academic year, will be able to offer a full Master of Business Administration. And uh, ours is very different to anything else on offer by way of MBAs in this nation because we focus on a model of business that we call missional business 
which put simply is business with the purpose of God right at its heart. And of course, that's not a watering down of those valuable principles and understandings that you need to have in business, but it adds to it a whole dimension, which is this Christian worldview. Absolutely. Um, We can guarantee that anyone who graduates from our Master of Business Administration will have the same content knowledge and roughly the same package of competences as someone who's graduating from any other university in the country. But the big difference is our graduates will be confident that they can apply the Word of God to any activity that they're engaged in out there in the marketplace. Well, the website for Christian Heritage College, uh, which is based in Brisbane, is chc.edu.au. And you might like to pursue uh, some details about that MBA. Uh, Quick question here. uh, Dave from Tassie called in asking if the government has cracked down on the big corporations like Google and Apple from not paying their fair share of taxes. Uh, Are you up to date on on where that process is? All I can really say at this point is that it is in process. So it will become more difficult to evade tax in Australia by setting up offices elsewhere. Time for another quick call too. Andrew is in Bow Desert in Queensland. Hello, Andrew. Welcome along to 2020. We'll need to be quick. What are your thoughts? Yeah, good day. Um, I just wanted to say that you know, as Christians, we need to just to understand that Satan controls a, a lot of the financial systems. You know, we have the Rockefellers, Rothschilds running major banking corporations who own just about everything. I mean, we only have to look at the U.S. system, the Federal Reserve, how that was set up in 1912, etc. Chuck Misler explains this very well in his um, Four Horsemen series, um, which has been released in the last 12 months. Um, Andrew, let's get some thoughts from Rob. We don't have a lot of time, but some of these things people might put into the conspiracy theory ideal, but but some of these things are actually historical too. Uh, Your thoughts, Rob? Yes, look, I certainly respect Chuck Missler's teaching. I listen to a lot of it myself. Look, I really think the antidote is for Christians to become highly educated and very active in these areas. So if we have a concern about what's going on in international financial markets, for example, what we need to ensure is that we populate those markets with Christians. So we don't want to withdraw from the system and set up our own ghettos, but we actually want to become highly visible and highly engaged in the marketplace. Thank you to Andrew from Bow Desert. And uh, running short of time, uh, uh, coming up to the news, a quick quick, uh, perspective on the year ahead, 2016. Rod, are you confident? Uh, Are you shaky? Are you doubtful? Uh, How do you feel about the year ahead? Well, look, I'm always confident because my God is bigger than anything the economy can throw up. But I think in terms of the overall picture, it will be pretty much steady as she goes next year. Okay, steady as she goes. So uh, you would prayerfully consider financial decisions that you needed to make when it comes to the economic circumstances. Absolutely. And look, I don't try to do anything on my own. I always seek advice from people I trust. So in terms of my own financial planning, for example, I have a trusted Christian advisor. And uh, my, my recommendation to anybody You know, there is wisdom in the counsel of many. Get good people around you, whether you be in business or whether you be um, saving to buy a house or saving for your retirement, whatever it is. Surround yourself by mature, wise Christians who can speak into your life. Rodson Hill, great getting your insights and uh, appreciate you joining us today here on 2020. And let me just remind you of that website. It's chc.edu.au. 
Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.